Hello and welcome to Campfire Conversations, stories from the center of the universe, where we bring the stories from our campfire to your ears, wherever you are in the world. Here we chat to friends over a favorite drink, enjoy the crackle of the fire, and let the real stories of life in the bush be told. Let's get talking to some bushveld legends and hear about their finest hours, the moments that made them question it all and what keeps them coming back for more. Tonight's drinks of choice are brandy and coke, gin and tonic. Some of us might have delved in a little special mampur from our special guest. Let me introduce my very good friends and guests tonight. Starting with Grant Beverly. After completing the academic component of a diploma in nature conservation at the Twani University of Technology in 2007, I completed a year's practical training internship at Scientific Services in the Kruger National Park. I assisted with various research projects, line monitoring, biodiversity monitoring, large tree project, and continued with biodiversity monitoring for a further three months before accepting an assistant field researcher position with the DeVille Cheetah and Wildlife Trust on the Wild Cheetah Project. Key responsibilities included conflict mitigation, trapping cheetahs for collaring, setting and monitoring camera traps, conducting questionnaire surveys and monitoring livestock guarding dogs. This work kick-started my career as a carnivore conservationist and developed valuable skills suitable for the implementation of carnivore conservation. I have been researching the African wild dog population since 2010. Key responsibilities include collaring and monitoring African wild dogs, developing and managing a photographic identification database, data collection and management, running citizen science campaigns, and liaising with tourists and park officials to obtain sighting data. He has participated in many papers. Most people do envy his job. He spends his time monitoring wild dogs, rescues snared animals, finds wild dog den sites, and runs the vaccination programs. He is the Lofelt Regional Coordinator for the Endangered Wildlife Trust's Carnivore Conservation Program. However, most people think he lives a glamorous life, but he lived in a tent in Skakuza for six months, on Mike Grover's floor for six months, and in a caravan on an orange farm for six months. He drives a sponsored Ford Bucky. According to his Twitter profile, animal lover turned carnivore researcher, extreme sports enthusiast, outgoing wild guy, trying to keep up with the times while living in the bush. And he has a very steamy pick. I think this was a, before his wife, who, according to the beautiful Mel, Grant went to Allen Glen High School where he was head boy and captain of the first team rugby. Fate really led him to where he is today when the first student and the top student got first choice on placement in KMP. Grant ended up in scientific services, got involved in everything and this is where he made his network and all his connections, including croc and lion sensors and aerial sensors. Ladies and gentlemen, the Kruger Park's very own wild dog man, Grant Beverly. Thanks, Holly. Nice quite to an, have you here. Quite an introduction there. But, uh, yeah, thanks very much. Anything you want to add? Um, no, not, not specifically. That covers quite a lot. Cool. And, um, yeah, just... That's pretty much all we have time for. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to hear that you can read and um, <laughs> keen to, to get into some of the details. Here we go. Having watched 
a couple of documentaries recently. What really should we call these animals that you study? African wild dog, African painted wolf, or painted dog? Um, scientifically speaking, there's no real right or wrong answer. But from a personal preference point of view in South Africa, <clears throat> which is slightly different to, to East Africa, is, is the name African wild dog is probably most relevant, particularly in a country that's got 11 official languages. So regardless of what you're calling them in the English language, with so many official languages in the country, the different official languages are anyway going to refer to them as a different, as a different species. So the only difference really comes in with the difference between what they would call them in other African countries. And that's where it's more, commonly that the, more common that they're referred to as painted dogs or, or painted wolves. Um, but scientifically speaking, they're not directly related to, to dogs in any way. Um, and they're also not of um, direct descendants from, from wolves specifically. They evolved on their own. So they, the genus that they belong to, Lycaon, is, is loosely translated to wolf-like and Pictus being painted. So painted wolf-like would be the most accurate sort of English name for them. But in South Africa, because of all the embracing the diversity of our languages, it really doesn't doesn't make a difference and just as a personal preference African wild dog is is the name that I refer to them as. Love it. Thank you. That's good actually. I for some reason thought they did were more more related to to wolves, man. We've got a question usually comes at the end, but I've gone through this before. I ask everybody every time, can you make an animal noise? I'll give you any, but I mean we'd obviously love the wild dogs, yeah. Huh? So, up to you, up to you. Um Generally, when I do this, it's it's towards the end of the evening after a, a lot more drinks. But is I, that how they elect their leaders in the pack? What the 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 sound? The sound. Uh, no, it's generally more aggression. Eh? Like, <laughs> the alpha male status is 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 fought for. But I can, I could give a a wild dog who call a go. He's also incredibly funny 
and an all-round great guy to travel with. His wife says, Brian is the most generous person I know and he never says no, no matter what people ask of him. He never comes to bed after a heavy night, always sleeps on the couch of his own accord, usually watching stand-up comedy of which he is a big fan. He is a safari and trails guide extraordinaire, father, entrepreneur, doer, mover, shaker, storyteller and entertainer. I have never seen better. In my opinion, Brian is one of the best safari guides out there. He has no boundaries and no line to cross. His encyclopedic knowledge is sometimes astounding. He's a golfer who is passionate about all things in nature and loves what he does. He is not afraid to wrangle venomous snakes, dance or make a speech. He is a professional MC and is ordained to perform legal weddings. Brian Masters, making safari dreams a reality. It's awesome to have you here, man. It's great to be here. Is it uh, normal to be mildly erect at the start of a podcast? I mean, that was that was one hell of an intro. Jeez, like it. Yeah, Thank you very much. And it's all true. Well, you know, we didn't make you know, it 60-40, but we'll take it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thanks. Very nice to be here. I'm going to kick it off straight in, man. 20 years of guiding. Let's let's ask you, what's your best memory? What's your scariest moment? Uh, weirdly, best memory, hands down, sitting with Pat Donaldson, who who recently left us, another yeah. legend in the game. Yeah, and I Pat, just man. started at Tundatula and was sitting in a sighting with the Sohubili males. There were four big, sort of dark main lions down in a sodic plain on Tawani in the Timbavadi, and all four of them roared. And he looked over the, the game view at me. He was sitting in another vehicle, and he just said, Welcome to the Timbavati. May the love affair never end. And it, and it hasn't to this day. The Timbavati, and in particular that property, has always been a very, very special place for me. So that's certainly one of the most memorable, or, or, or a moment that I think was just like, it's, it'll, it'll stay forever vivid in my mind. Um, obviously, 20 years I've had some unbelievable sightings yeah. uh, I'll never forget the probably the craziest sighting and the and the hardest to ever communicate via a radio was guest and I was guiding at Singita for 17 nights which is a very long time to try and pretend to be interested in two people and um, we we decided to sort of go the opposite direction to wherever the other guides were going and we went after a female cheetah that had sub-adult cubs down in the southeast on the Londolosi boundary and we found her. She was hunting that afternoon. We saw a herd of impala. We moved in on, on the impala. As she started heading straight for the impala, a zebra came the opposite direction with one of the Tsalala lionesses on its back. And within the space of about 100 meters, the, the, the cheetah had taken down the impala and the lioness had taken down the zebra. And I was saying, Look out the lines. The track is going, it's not a lion, it's a cheetah. Uh, the guests are not knowing what I'm talking about or where to look. Uh, in the, the, the panic, she started dragging the carcass, and the next minute, the Kashan male ran in and took the carcass off it and hoisted it into a tree. And that all happened in maybe, maybe two minutes, less than two minutes. It was ridiculous. And then to have to take the moment to go, all stations... <laughs> And try and repeat that on a radio channel. Got three yeah, yeah. Just, just wherever I am, just come down the side. It's cool. And also, not wow. knowing where I was didn't help either. <laughs> so yeah. So that was a, a memorable thing. So yeah. So that's been. I've been that's very, awesome. very blessed. Eh? Is uh, that what you got you 2.8 million views on YouTube, or is that a different no, story? No, no, that's a story. slightly different story. But uh, we'll, we'll delve into that later. <laughs> okay, that's amazing. Let's. Okay, let's leave, let's leave scary for now. 
grant and and it's you know it's awesome to be here obviously mike grove has come in the four of us are really very good friends so you know there's awesome chemistry and it's, it's cool to have this chat let's just let it go wherever it wants grant you know i know <clears throat> there's things yeah you, people are envious of your job you know being a wild dog researcher for endangered wildlife trust i mean there's obviously things that immediately come to mind but you know it's darting these animals uh saving you know maybe an animal from a snare uh, you've done some mad stuff and, and obviously it's not as glamorous as we see and there's a lot of paperwork but i mean in the times in the bush what, what comes to mind like probably <clears throat> what what which has been fortunate to happen a couple of times but it's still a unique moment every time it happens because of of generally the isolation of the areas that they select to do it in but is experiencing a wild dog den site um, and the uniqueness of, of the size of the pups when they first emerge and, and, you know, just in mammals in general, how useless they are when they're that small. And the reason why is because it sort of epitomizes what a wild dog is in terms of their social dynamics, which is what's so unique about, you know, the opportunity to watch a den where all adults in the pack help raise the pups. So it's not just, you know, the alpha pair or the adult male and female that, that are raising the pups. All of them are they cooperative breeders. So they all, everything that they do is for the greater good of the pack, which is sort of epitomized when they're denning because all their energy goes into raising those pups. And yeah, so just the opportunities over the, the last 10 years to, to experience that and, and watch pups going from, from being these small little black balls of fluff to eventually when they leave the den and start moving with, with a pack has been incredibly unique. And then at the same time, that, that connection that you have with that animal that you've been following since it was, was born almost, almost, and then seeing a, a sighting or an interaction with other predators, for example, lions coming in just after the, the, the pack has left the den and then two young male lions come in and kill all of those pups, you know. And those, those are the kind of moments where you take for granted how amazing it is, but then it also still, it's just each time it takes your breath away about how unique the opportunity is and then how, in many ways, how sad and how raw nature can be, you know, which, yeah. is, which is often something that, that people ask me, like, you know, do you, do you become attached to the wild dogs? And when you've seen and watched something, which I'm sure goes the same for anyone else in the, in the gardening industry or, you know, the, the connection that we have to nature is really, really strong. And it really does hurt when you see uh, something that you've, you've spent so much time with, you know, get killed. And uh, because it's been from, from such a young age and watching that animal grow up, it's, it's completely unique, you know. No, it's awesome. It's really touched me. What you're saying, I think, I've said it to you before that there were periods in my, my guiding career when we, sometimes in our area where we're operating, we'd have a, a wild dog den site, and then the next year we'd have it again, and you, it's incredible, it's so special, but only the next year when they're not around, and the next year you don't find a den site and you don't see them, and I go the next year for three years, I didn't see wild dogs at a den site, it started hurting me, and I've mentioned this to you before, that it is so special when you've got dogs denning and you, you have the privilege to be there. Especially when you talk to South Africans who've been coming to the Kruger Park for years, never saw them for 30 years, and now in our generation, I've grown up seeing them in my sole place, the Timbavati, which, you know, we really connect about that, Brian, is, yeah, what a privilege. Hey? And, and But it's amazing, though, you ask guides across the African continent, yeah. what's your favorite animal? 
and nine out of ten will yeah. say wild dogs. Yeah. And there is such a charisma to them that it's yeah. just they are just that very special animal. So yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Which is it's something that's 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 also quite difficult to get across, particularly to a first-time safari goer uh, yeah. or or yeah. someone that doesn't understand. And, and you know, going back to the link of them not evolving or not being directly related to domestic dogs or rather domestic dogs not being directly you know because they are such a unique species they've got a completely unique lineage mm -hmm. and only once you spend time with wild dogs do you realize how completely unique they are in terms of their mm -hmm. character mm -hmm. which is something that that you know i strive to get across to to first time safari goers that how lucky they are to experience them more frequently in south africa mm -hmm. and then also how the more often a, a safari or someone comes on safari, it almost it's almost instantaneous that they become in love with wild dogs. Mm. So yeah. like repeat guests yeah. or whatever, automatically almost develop this this love for them because they're such a complex, interesting carnival. You know, there's just there's so much to them. It reminds no, me I of you in many ways. Yeah. Complex, unique. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite complex. Like a wild dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Masters, <laughs> you've got one more trail in you, one more wilderness trail with one wilderness guide. Where would it be and with who? Uh, probably... Not around the garden. Not <laughs> around the garden, yeah, I know, for sure. Probably... I'll just throw in there, Brian was part of the Bruce Lawson gig, he did 150Ks, three days, yeah. 18 kilogram backpack on his back. Yeah, I'm going to be the first person to put down and say the last day, maybe close to about 10, maybe even 8 kgs. <laughs> <laughs> I dusted a bit of a lot. <laughs> yes, I was hurting, but, but I still well, did 150 well, k's. Yeah, what a awesome there, but, yeah. Uh, but I can answer that quite easily. I think Fraser Gear would be my walking partner, and it would be a under the stars traverse of the Makuleki contractual park. I think that would be a five-nighter um, out sleeping under the stars would be, uh, yeah, that and with Fraser. I've never met a more encyclopedic mind and a more inquiring mind. So if you're walking and there's a baobab with a hole in it, you know Fraser is going to get his headlamp on and be have his head up that baobab and checking out. And the next minute you've learned three new bat species because yeah. Fraser, instead of walking past a hole, stopped and sh shoved his head up it and rattled off yeah. three new species you're like what never even heard of that bat so yeah so i think that would be our yeah, last trail or whatever Lovely. i think that those would be that would be the, the choices there oh that's awesome yeah um i am as everybody knows a fan of the makuleki it's a special place yeah very Grant, your favorite place that you've ever been to in africa um it's probably because it's it's a bit nostalgic but i would still say some of some special areas within Kruger National Park and we've we've obviously a couple of times mentioned Makuleki which in itself is is a special place and I've seen wild dogs coming through those those fever tree forests oh. up there and it's I mean it's there's some similar areas in terms of some of the scenery like Mashatu I find quite mm. similar in terms of the scenery but but just the remoteness of Kruger in many aspects although it's not off the beaten track so to say the uniqueness of having the opportunity to access some remote areas in Kruger and the nostalgia because I grew up as a South African going to Kruger. There's all, it just Kruger has always been a special place. Despite going to East Africa and other places in, in Africa, 
I will always come back back to Kruger and I mean even you know during the previous couple of months during the lockdown of a, a couple of months ago it was <laughs> just <laughs> no but so the 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 nostalgia really comes from having gone there so many times from a from a young age and uh, I think all of us or, or many of us in the industry or, or within conservation <clears throat> Would I would also thank our parents for giving us the opportunity to go to to Kruger from a young age, yeah. and in, and that's really what it instills, you know. Which which and then in the industry that we're in, it gives us the opportunity to raise kids in in this situation or this environment as well. Which is yeah, it's yeah. just such a privilege to to see them almost seeing what you saw through their eyes, you know. So yeah, it is still a Kruger. privilege. It is, and then that just keeps going, Brian. Animal noise or a, or a joke? Up to you. Watch out for the water behind you. Oh, hello, shallow pig. Um, gee whiz, okay. Uh, I think probably joke would definitely be more in my uh, thing. Give it to us. So no we'll have to think about this one for a second. Cool. Uh, quick one, all right? There's a chicken and an egg lying in bed together having a little guaza. Uh -huh. The See. egg wipes a bit of sweat off his brow. Looks at it and says, does that answer your question? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well done, well done. We are running short on time, so <laughs> I need something good from you. Grant Beverly, how many times have you hit a cow? We know you travel a lot for your job. At night, saving endangered species. <laughs> so it does, it does concern me a little bit that I actually had to think about if... It was two or three. <laughs> I have cows beware. I have deduced that it was definitely it's definitely three, but the third one was the car kind of ran into the side of the vehicle more than me hitting it. Okay. Yeah, but three. But the cow made contact with the car. Is what the I'm car. saying. Yeah. Yeah. But the cow hit me. That, I didn't hit the cow. That may in fact be three more than the rest of us around the the fireside. Yeah. It's definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be. Glad to say that two of the three did run, into run you. away from the oh, car okay. afterwards. Yeah. So, you, so what you're saying is they died away from the road. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Brian Marcus, yeah. and, I, and I mean what I said earlier, like, you know, you are an amazing guide, man. So, uh, I'll let you, I mean, what you want to tell us a story of? Um, no, I just, I think... Um, so often we, we've got this idea in our heads about how nature's going to be. And, and, and one of the things that I, I'm obviously passionate about walking safaris. I've, I've always had some of my most um, uh, meaningful, tactile um, experiences on foot. And, 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 and often my passion is watching someone's passion get ignited whilst on foot or converting that person who was such a passionate photographic back of a game viewer person to going, I love that, but I still want to do walking safaris and I want to get out and yes, it's less game, but the experiences are more real. So yeah, so whether it be being rolled by a buffalo in the Pafuri yeah. uh, and, and having, I don't want to say the presence of mind, but having something that's so much more than just a passion, getting up saying, okay, yeah. it's up to you guys. I'm okay. We can continue this walk or we can go back to the camp and they're just going, uh-uh. We're out. But managing to talk them around and going back on a walk that same afternoon and tracking yeah, buffalo that same afternoon, that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think, I think getting people passionate about what I'm passionate about 
is is the thing that excites me the most. And all the Love stories it. and the funny tales and uh, accidentally flashing your balls to guests and <laughs> all these things that happen to me or vomiting in front of guests. I mean, I've really had a very colorful uh, <laughs> guiding career over 20 years. But but every single one of those little situations kind of builds you to a point where, yeah. where it's just... I look back and I used to think, I, I, especially when you finish studying, you think, oh, the theory, I've got the theory checked. How much, how much is the experience? How much, does it, how much does it equate to in terms of value? And now I look back and I go, crisis. I, after 20 years, I don't feel I'm experienced enough yeah. because I see guys who are 50 years and 40 years in the industry and I think, fuck, these oaks are next level. So it's, it's, I think that's the bush for me is something that just keeps on giving and keeps on showing you and humbling you because the more you learn, the less you know. And the more you realize, she's I gotta get a book on fungi now or get a, you know, whatever. So yeah, but uh, so that's me rambling love about, it, you know, nothing no, love it. and everything. Grant, <clears throat> we're gonna cut it up, but what do, you, what do you wanna say to people about wild dogs who are on Facebook? Yeah. Look, I mean, and it's, it's a question that gets asked quite often in terms of what makes them so special or what makes them endangered and and what are we doing to to conserve them <clears throat> and it's something i've thought about quite quite a lot recently and i think more more frequently or more more often than ever people are starting to realize that that the planet and and conservation or nature can go on without the human population you know and it's it's a privilege for us in conservation to be able to work in these areas when you're closer to realizing that the human population or the human species is, is just having a negative effect on, on sort of the balance of nature in many aspects. And it does sort of drive me to continue doing what we're doing just to slow down the rate of, of species extinction, you know, and that's the thing with wild dogs, they, they're South Africa's most endangered carnivore, but the facts and the, the sort of scare tactics to, to try and make people realize that wild dogs are important, more and more often, or more and more regularly, I'm realizing that, that you know, it's, it's, not, it's not that important and it's not going to change until people realize that without human influence and interference, nature will carry on just by itself, you know. And I think it links to Brian talking about like a walking safari, is to actually go out and experience wilderness as close to, to the original sort of original feeling or aspects of nature as possible. And to, to have the continued opportunity to, to experience um, nature as close as possible despite what the the threats and everything that that wild dogs are facing is is a privilege and and something that i hope more and more people continue to realize that going back to nature is is important you know and without humans there things will carry on it's humans are increasing the rate of of extinction and increasing the rate of habitat destruction and fragmentation, which are still the biggest drivers of population declines across all species. Um, but to have that opportunity to, to continue being, having the, the close link to, to nature is, is something that money can't buy, you know, and that's, that's something that the industry is also offering, you know. It's, it's an opportunity to experience something that money can just simply cannot buy with getting closer 
to nature. So that reconnecting with the wilderness that's within all of us by being in the wilderness that's around us. And I think that's, that it sounds kind of airy-fairy, but it's, no. it's, it's ingrained in our genetics that there is wilderness within us. We come from a wilderness place, and when we are in the wilderness, we are probably the truest versions of ourselves. I you know, yeah. Let's leave it there, man. That, you know, that's an awesome parting thought. Mm. Brian Masters, Grant Beverly, Legends of the Bush. Thank you. Legends of the Center of the Universe. You can find Brian Open Skies Wilderness at Open Skies Wilderness. He loves to have a conversation on social media. <coughs> you can donate to the wild dogs and daughter school fees <laughs> at Endangered Wildlife Trust at EWT and at Grant Beverly. Love ya. Fantastic. Thanks for having us. Cool. Cheers. Thanks a lot, guys. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stop Happy. eating stop eating bats. Yeah. Stop eating. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag stop eating bats. <laughs> oh, yes, we need we need we stop needed bats. more time with these oaks. Thank you for joining us. You can find today's guests online via their social media handles linked in this podcast description. Go ahead and give them a follow, share some love, and show some support for what they are doing. We welcome your questions and comments and encourage you to let us know what you're thinking. Who do you want to meet around our campfire and what burning questions do you have for these bush legends? Find us on social media via the links in the description and tune in to watch our podcast recordings from around the campfire on our YouTube playlist. They knock a glass over, they don't sit on. That's awesome.